Welcome to the ALT Insider Podcast, dedicated to making you have the most fun possible while living or dreaming about living in Japan. Whether you've been here for years or are just starting to consider it, we've got you covered. And now, your host, broadcasting from somewhere in Japan, James. James here coming at you with episode number 129 of the ALT Insider Podcast. How you doing out there today? It's nice to have you with me here for another week of a podcast that is part of the Japan Podcast Network. If you want to check out awesome podcasts that are in the Japan space, you got to go to japanpodcastnetwork.com. With that out of the way, let's get to the housekeeping as usual. Last month's lesson plan telethon is now officially over, but I'm still mentioning it now, but hey. Uh, thanks to all the people that supported the site, and you will, you will, know the updates will keep coming to you every year that they get updated. You will get that update for free. And if you're interested, if you missed the telethon, hey, that's fine. I say telethon every time, but it's not a telethon. It's just me talking about it every week on the podcast. But you can go to altinsider.com forward slash ALT lesson plans. Your elementary school lessons can be taken care of by one visit to our website. There you go. Another thing, we are hardcore in the SOP season for those Jet Hopefuls out there. I promised this week I was going to have an awesome interview for the Jet Hopefuls out there. Unfortunately, it's not ready yet. But next week, it will be an absolutely incredible, amazing guest for you Jets out there. I have someone that actually performs the interviews, actually performs the reading of the SOPs. That person is that close to the to the action there that you want to be in when you're sending your SOP. So be sure to tune in next week for that. Another reminder, if you want someone to check out your SOP, we would happily like to do so at altinsiderresumereview.com. So guys, let's get to this week. Now, that, I guess this week is Nick, the founder, owner, special maker, magic maker of Fukuoka Now, magazine. And I know, you know, most people listening to the show don't live in Fukuoka. So let me explain what that is. Fukuoka Now is a magazine, kind of a mini magazine in size, um, 50, 60 pages. It's been through a lot of iterations as he'll explain, but 50, 60 pages is a free magazine. And if you've been to Fukuoka anywhere, you have seen this magazine. It's everywhere. It's in convenience stores. It's in, you know, the lobbies of the department stores. It's at, you know, every place you can have a magazine, it is there. It really is amazingly well spread out. And uh, this week's all about his story of from how Nick went from teacher to founder of a real magazine that has been going on now for almost 20 years. So uh, he has a very interesting story with how he went about it, and he made his own position. He made his own job here in Japan. So I think that is the most uh, interesting part of it. From The thing I learned the most from him, which I hope you can take something from as well. So without further ado, let's get to it. Nick, founder of Fukuoka Now. Enjoy. Sure. All right, guys. Today I have a very special guest. His name is Nick, and he has an awesome mag. I guess we call it a magazine, right? That's what it's. That's what it's called, right? Still, we call it a magazine. Yes, <laughs> it's a magazine that is very heavily. You can find it anywhere in Fukuoka, right? <laughs> Basically now. Yeah, um, sure. It's around three hundred locations. It is called Fukuoka now, and the person I'm with is called is named Nick. How you doing today, Nick? Very good. Thanks. Thanks, James. Very good. So I got to tell you know, just so people don't think we're talking about some little magazine web magazine or something small like that could you tell me an approximate number how many uh, how many issues hard copy issues get passed around Fukuoka every what is it monthly well it's it's gone down over the years i mean uh back uh, pre-internet days uh we were up i think the highest uh, print run we had was uh, twenty-seven thousand copies per month um we've dropped down quite a bit uh it's currently fifteen thousand copies per month 
Uh, okay, but still, that's still insanely big. You can find it everywhere. And if you go, if you live in Fukuoka or been to Fukuoka, you'll find Fukuoka now. But uh, let's start with the same question, though. I start with everyone here. So, what kind of was your inspiration to get interested in Japan, to move to Japan? What kind of was your first t- brush with Japan? Okay, well, um, let's see here. It's uh, uh, quite a while ago, but. Um, yeah, after uh, college, I did the uh, backpacking uh, experience, I suppose, um, and uh, I did two trips around Asia, both uh, around nine months long, and uh, during those trips, I got interested in, in Buddhism, actually, and uh, I uh, spent some time in some temples in Korea, in Nepal, and uh also in uh, Tibet as well, actually. This goes way back. This is 1983, 84, around that, that time. And anyways, um, <clears throat> that's what uh, brought me to Japan is, is I knew that uh, Japan was, was a Buddhist country. There were uh, Buddhism practiced here and Zen. So I first came to Japan uh, with, the, uh, with the goal or aspiration of, of studying Zen. And uh, after the backpacking days, I, I moved to Tokyo and... Uh, uh, stayed in a dormitory of a Zen temple in Tokyo for one year. Okay. Yeah. So that was my my catch, my, how I how I came to Japan, I suppose. Well, that's definitely the first time I've heard that uh, story to get into Japan. So, uh, so what, what what is that like though? Do, like, do you need it, uh, employment when you're in a Zen t- temple, or how does that uh, work? Uh, yeah, actually, at that time I was, and that was, uh, I guess, looking back, the the only time uh, that that I actually uh, taught English. I had a part time. I, I guess it may, maybe it was full-time, I suppose, but I, I had um, part-time sort of employment as, as an English teacher uh, for that uh, first year or so. And then I also went to a Japanese language school as well, too. So um, in the Zen temple was just sort of like like being part of the morning practice. That's like from 5.30 in the morning to, I can't remember, or so maybe it was a, an hour, 6.30 or so. And uh, then it was just, you know, you, you live your regular days. And, and I would either uh, teach English or um, go to Japanese language school. Okay, cool. So you're still working your Japanese at that point, teaching English to make the ends meet. So what's kind of your next step after that? After that, um, yeah, um, I guess uh, like I said, it's a long story. This goes back many years. I've been in Japan 31 years now. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's, I have to scratch my head here. But basically, I, I had to go back to Canada for one year. And uh, then I came back and I worked at a fiberglass manufacturing company in Osaka. And uh, how that came up is through some family connections or my my father's business was, um, you know, involved with the company Osaka. I'd already studied Japanese for a bit um, and uh, I wanted to live and work in Japan and had this opportunity. So I worked in a sort of export import section of a fiberglass manufacturing company in southern Osaka. Okay. For a year and a half, yeah. Was, was this um, white collar, or were you the one listing the glass and all that kind of stuff too? Or? <laughs> well, it was a factory location actually, um, but I was it was white collar. I was in the office, but it was uh, in an area I think it's a Minami Kawachigun in Osaka, which is kind of a an industrial park area. And yeah, it was it was a, definitely a, a, an experience uh, into you know, Japanese salaryman. Uh, life and also I, because it was a factory location, I got I got to you know be with those people as well too. So that was uh, a good experience. It only lasted about a year and a half though. Um, the uh, business between the two companies uh, didn't go forward. And but anyways, I decided I, I wanted to stay in Japan, so I moved back to Tokyo and registered with a um, what do you say uh, employment uh, 
a headhunting service or something. Anyways, I got placed with a, a large Japanese company called uh, Kabushikaisha Itoki, uh, Jimuki, like an office uh, design, office supplies company. And they were looking for um, a bilingual foreigner to help with their uh, sales uh, for their multinational uh, corporate clients. Things like, um, you know, back in the day, Solomon Brothers and uh, whatever, Chase Manhattan, the big banks. It was at the end of the, the bubble uh, era here in Japan, I guess the late 80s. And uh, those companies are spending a lot of money on on fine, you know, nice offices in Tokyo. And they needed a, uh, a foreigner to uh, speak with the upper management. And so I had that kind of job where I was doing communications, marketing, sales for a Japanese company. That was my first uh, office salary job. And that was... Uh, in Tokyo, right downtown in, in the Ginza area. Wow, cool. So, I mean, so you obviously, you, you know, your history wasn't obviously in sales and your history wasn't in, uh, uh, you know, what's it called? A, you said plexiglass kind of thing. So was your kind of your foreignness the reason you got hired, you'd say? Or is this, do you have a kind of the degree to back that up? A little bit. Yeah, basically it was that I was able to communicate. I, I wasn't fluent in Japanese by any means. That wasn't uh so required was more that I was fluent in English that I could communicate with the with the foreign and uh, multinational uh, company staff. Um, but yeah, I had Japanese skills. I, I think before that, I was also uh, actually proficient with um, Apple Macintosh computers, which at the time were were really quite basic. I mean, actually, I think they were black and white the screens, for that matter, when there weren't even other machines. But it was what was called desktop publishing (DTP), and that was a big thing. It's like uh, how you know, the web is or apps is now. And I had some some skills in making presentation materials. So that was, I think, the extra skill. Not only did I have, you know, some Japanese language ability, um, but I had uh, the skill in being able to make presentation uh, materials. So that's what really got me the job and helped me. Cool. So now, so now you're kind of your Japanese said it's still not perfect, but you have some experience living in Japan. Now you have some, you know, you have some white collar office jobs. So what kind of is there? We don't, we don't. I'm sure there's probably many, many steps to get to where Fukuoka now is. But let's kind of right. get to before that. Before Fukuoka now, what were you doing before you started Fukuoka now? The, the job kind of right before that. All right, I'll try and time it. Well, right after that, that last job in that uh, uh, explained in in Tokyo, I, I did go back to Canada for a year. Then I really realized, oh, I, I love Japan. I really want to spend more time there. But you know, office furnishing wasn't my you know my um, my main interest by any means. Uh, but uh, one thing that was of great interest to me was um, that uh, Apple Macintosh computer and the desktop publishing. So. What I did is I went back to uh, Tokyo and I went to a, a big trade show. One of the very first was called Mac World Exposition, something that when Makahari Messe was a brand new convention center and so forth. Anyways, I uh, walked around the, the floor and uh, I just went up to some of the companies in the Apple Macintosh uh, software, I guess, an application business at the time. And I just, you know, sold myself basically. I said, you know, I wanted to work in Japan. I can speak Japanese. I've got some skills with uh you know, using software, not an engineer, but, you know, with the use of software. So I got a, an interview with a, a company called um, uh, Systemsoft, and they were like the big player. They had a, Adobe Photoshop, and they had like, you know, distribution rights for all the big software. And I didn't know it, but they were located in Fukuoka, actually, headquarters. So um, had a quick meeting in Tokyo. They had an office there, but then they said, well, you know, come down to Fukuoka and we'll have a chat and maybe we do have something for you. That job, uh, again, because I had, you know, basic skills in, in uh, not just Japanese language, but I, with uh, the use of, the, of that computer and, and software. And this company, what they were doing was called uh, localization. 
which means they would um, they'd buy the rights to American software, and then they would uh, make the Japanese versions, uh, the software and the manuals and all that, and they do the marketing. So um, again, they needed or they found it useful to have a, a foreigner like uh, myself, someone who's bilingual, to help with communications. Uh, between the companies. So it was a great job. I got to go to uh, Boston and San Francisco and places like that and meet with uh, software developers. And uh, basically, my job was just like communications. And uh, I, anyways, yeah, I, that job was based in Fukuoka. Sorry, I didn't mention that. But I, uh, as I said, the headquarters of that company was Fukuoka. And uh, yeah, I went down for an interview. I saw the city. It looked, you know, it was bigger than I thought. I hadn't really heard of Fukuoka or knew anything about it. This is now 1990 that's 27 years ago um but when i got down here it, it uh my inaka janakatta ne it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't really it wasn't like rice fields or anything like that on the hand it was a lot smaller of course in tokyo Osaka, where i had been but i was coming back to japan after um coming back to canada for a year or so and, and rethinking did i really want to live in japan or not and i i thought i really did so uh, having spent time in Tokyo and Osaka, I knew what living there was like. And at that time, I still enjoyed that, living in the big, uh, busy cities. Uh, but then, wow, when I saw Fukuoka, I thought, and this is, you know, um, lower cost of living, uh, sort of a more I don't know, nicer, uh, more comfortable, more gentle environment, let's say. Mm-hmm. And uh, then here I found a good job. So um, that's how I came to Fukuoka. Wow. Okay. So now you're in Fukuoka and, you know, you said this job's awesome. It sounds awesome. You go around traveling and stuff and using communication, but then something struck in your, in your mind to make this thing called Fukuoka now. So what was that? Well, actually what it was is, um, the end of the bubble uh, era and, and the company that I worked for was, was sort of, uh, hitting hard times. And so that, that good softer and softer, uh, nice job that I had, uh, was about to evaporate. I could see that. So then, you know, necessity, I thought, well, here I am, I'm back in, I, I'm really happy living in Japan. Uh, I'm happy in the in the, that type of industry or, or business. I got some skills and I love living in Fukuoka. Um, I got to find a job or I have to make a job. And so that's what happened is, as I said, is main, my, my main skill was desktop publishing. So one step from that was actually self-publishing, of course. And so I um, basically pitched the idea of, of creating a magazine for expats to a local publisher. And uh, at that time, so this is 1993 or so in Fukuoka, very few tourists would ever come down here. Not that many foreign residents, um, expats. Uh, however, uh, there was something called Universiad. Universiad is like the Olympics for students, and it, it happens, I think, every four years around the world. That was coming up. It was going to happen in Fukuoka. And this publishing company thought, hey, it might be kind of good to have an English-language magazine around that time, or I guess they thought they could do some business. Long story short, they, they backed my idea of making a uh, sort of what's-on-type magazine here. Like, I approached them with the idea. I said, you know, I lived in Tokyo. I lived in Osaka. They had you know, um, that type of magazine for expats. Foucault didn't have it. True, they didn't have a, a big population. Foucault didn't have a big population, but I could see it sort of growing. <clears throat> and as I said, they had that big event coming up. So um, that, that's how it came about, is they, they agreed to, uh, actually, they hired me. I wanted to do it on my own, but with the visa situation and all that, I ended up becoming an employee in this publishing company, and they backed me on the idea of, of starting a English-language magazine in Fukuoka, that was 1993, 
and it was called Radar, not for Canal, but Radar. Okay, so hold on. Let me let me stop you there because that's I mean obviously that's awesome. You got you started the you made a job out of thin air kind of with your own uh, junk uh, gumption there. But how what is it? What does that even? How, let's say I have an awesome idea for a magazine. It's an incredible magazine. No one's ever heard of this idea. What what do you what, what do I even do? If, what do you just go to a publisher and walk in the front door and say, hey, I got this idea? What, what how did that happen? You know. Well, actually, my I called from a public phone booth. <laughs> which used to have in Japan, a public phone booth. And thinking about it is, but that's a little bit, I mean, there's a little bit more to it than that. That is true, though. I just called up. Um, the president of that company had come to the company I was working at just to watch a, a demonstration of software. And so I, and also he was the president of, of, a, of a publishing company that put on the, it's like PIA or, or the, uh, I guess, Time Out magazine, the Japanese magazine, which I thought was closest to what I wanted to do. So yeah, it was a cold call in a way. I mean, I knew who I was calling, but it was kind of a cold call. And and uh, I guess um, that's another neat thing about Fukuoka is that there are you know fewer foreigners down here, I suppose. And it's not so common to get called up by one, I suppose, and pitched with an idea. At least that's was 27 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So your Japanese at this point is obviously pretty good to be able to make a call and explain your yeah. idea, right? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, it was good enough at the time. All right, so then you started this radar, and then radar is a little bit different than what you wanted to do. So how did it kind of morph into what you do now? Well, again, um, again with circumstance, uh, that that was um, it wasn't a free paper, what they call free paper. It was sold actually, and uh, but it had a, you know quite a big local company behind it. It was tabloid size. I had staff and had a budget, and you know thinking back, it was it was pretty pretty good. It was pretty cushy, um, but. Um, what happens again, the economy just got worse and worse in Japan. And, and after that big university ad event, you know, just basically didn't make sense to run that magazine anymore for the publisher. And so I was out of a job. So once again, necessity, I'm out of a job time to, to, uh, either find one or make one. And <clears throat> I, um, decided again, well, uh, again, well, they just stopped the magazine. So no one else is going to start one. I started, I said, I really believed in it. I thought, you know, foreigners need information, uh, and even if there are few of them, there's going to be more and blah, blah, blah. So I started out small and, uh, just by myself and I just started publishing Fukuoka now. Okay. So you were publishing yourself and this is again, this is before the internet. So you were really had to, when you say publish, you mean publish ink on paper, publish right? uh, ink on paper. And actually it was just two color, mostly like one side. Well, it was 16 pages. It's like a, a big, what was it? A, 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 one kind of, uh, I'm trying to think of the size of the paper, but folded it down into like 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 an accordion sort of style. Uh, anyways, it's like it would work out to 16 A5 pages all folded down, and it's very similar to the current Fukuoka uh, magazine. Now uh, the features are it's got a map in it, and it's got you know information about you know where to eat, I suppose, and um, events, and uh, you know what um, sone. Uh, <laughs> it's just what's going on in town, I suppose. Yeah, the, the concept it hasn't really changed. Yeah. So, how did you kind of? Okay. So you're now you're by yourself. I'm gonna do this myself. Are you writing everything? Are you doing all the research, doing all the digital, the graphics and stuff? How did that work? So not every no. The design and, and layout. I I had a, a friend again. Like I had worked in this publishing company, and so I already had a um, a network. I knew people in the creative fields, the creative businesses here in Fukuoka. Um, also, the, another big advantage is having had that magazine before me, I wasn't doing sales, but I, I knew who the customers were. And the customers, they did have advertisers. So I was able to uh, tap into those advertisers were, were still keen to, to continue, or some of them anyways. 
that was the biggest trick is, you know, obviously the business side of it. The editorial side wasn't wasn't so difficult. I had some friends help me and then I hired a staff after the first issue and then a second staff and so on and so forth. So, um, but the biggest thing was, you know, getting the trust and uh, uh, support of advertisers. Yeah, absolutely. That has to be the hardest part, right? Because, I mean, yeah, you could, you could write something, but you got to get someone to give, be able to say, here, we'll give you money to advertise, right? Because well, you were still a free model at that time, right? Pardon me? I was were still you, at, at the beginning. Were you a free model, or how did it work? Oh yeah, it was definitely. That was no. That was uh, maybe one of the looking back one of the best things decisions is to decide to make it a uh, a free magazine. What they call um, you know not try and sell because that made distribution easy. Uh, distribution in Japan for publications, um, you know, usually it's from the publishing company to a wholesaler, and then it goes to retail. It's, it's many layers and becomes very expensive. So um, this was just when, you know, so-called free papers were becoming a little bit popular. We're actually quite early in, 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 that, in that game. And that worked out really well because I could just take it to, to shops and restaurants and say, hey, would you like to have that? And especially in Fukuoka, um, in the English uh, language publication really stuck out and people were really happy to see, hey, this is our city being introduced um, to the world or at least to foreigners uh, in, in English, uh, they would say, you know, they, they really, they got a kick out of it as well too. So I enjoyed, um, support both in terms of advertising and, you know, distribution and just overall cooperation because people really appreciated having the, the, uh, the publication. Awesome. I got to ask, like, maybe you can't even say, I don't know, but like, how do you sell an advertiser in a magazine that you're not going to sell and you can't, prove really how many people read it right like you can't give a number like you know for this podcast when i do advertising right i can say i have this many numbers and here's the printout of how many people listened you know but with a magazine like yours it's kind of impossible to do that right well again this is um what uh we're going back to ni- 1998 is when gold canal started 1998 and that's pre sort of internet so um actually print media was you know where people got information so we had uh for example our Biggest sponsors would have been overseas um, phone carriers, you know, because uh, people would, would pay a couple hundred yen a minute to call home. I mean, there were sort of, I guess, monopolies on that business, and it was very expensive to call overseas. Um, but then they knew that foreigners would, would, you know, be a good clients for that. So what it was, there was real business. It was, it made good sense to advertise in a publication that was um, dedicated to foreigners or uh, Japanese who like to read English because they were people who would um, use overseas telecommunications. They were also people who would use uh, travel agents a lot. They would buy tickets to go home or travel. So our main advertisers were the telephone companies, travel agents, and I guess uh, I guess we call it international dining or amaga no kokusaitekina bunya. So it was real business. So they weren't people weren't just throwing money at us. They were, they were making money off of the ads that. They put in Fukuoka now, I believe. How about because you obviously have, yeah, and you also had uh, experience kind of selling advertising, right, with the other publications? No, I didn't. I didn't actually. Uh, as I said, I was just focused on editorial when I worked for the publishing company. I was the editor in chief of the magazine and 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 creative and editorial. So I didn't have that, but I have a. I think uh, always had some business sense and entrepreneurial spirit. So I actually enjoy sales uh, a lot, even today. I think, uh, again, I, I like to, the type of sales we do, uh, we like to think that um, we're actually creating, you know, real value um, to uh, 
to the people who, who decide to advertise through us. Um, so that's always been sort of a policy of mine. Uh, we don't like to sell an ad. If, if we even suspect that somebody, a restaurant, oh, well, okay, they call us up, open an ad in your, in your magazine. If I think that people aren't actually going to go to the place, um, I, I don't follow it up um, very much. Or, uh, yeah, because that doesn't last. Uh, you know, provide real real value. So I think Fokonau, um, I should want to point out one thing is Fokonau wasn't only English. One reason why we got off, I guess, to a good starter, we've continued now for uh, 27 years, is that it's been bilingual. Uh, English and Japanese from the start. The previous magazine I made was only English. So it was a very narrow market. Um, we were bilingual, so we our target audience at the time was expats, uh, foreigners living in Japan, and then we had um, a kokusaijin, that's what we call them, the internationally minded Japanese who like to read things in English, and they'd have the bilingual you know, print there, and, and they enjoyed that. Yeah, definitely. I know some, when I used to be English teacher too, um, some of my students would have Fukunau as like a study guide, you know, like you can read the English one. Oh, I'm not sure what that means. And the right. Japanese is right there. That's a great idea, you know. Um, so how about I get a, get a little bit behind the curtain here. So you 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 go solo, you make Fukunau, right? But I know how things work with the business side. You got to make, to have a visa, you got to make a business, right? And making a business right. is a huge investment in Japan, right? So sure. how did you make that work? Um, okay, well, look, um, I guess I, by the time that I started Fukunau, it was uh, my 10th year in Japan. And uh, back then, I think that sort of was sort of a magic sort of uh, number in terms of years where uh, it's possible to uh, self-sponsor. I mean, I don't know if the word self-sponsor is correct. There was something, I know what I got was called Teju Visa. Teju Visa, long term, no, what's it called? Long term resident visa. Um, basically, I had, I'd worked for like good companies and paid all my taxes. And um, I had, um, I think uh, I was able to present to immigration uh, office at the time that, hey, I'm not going to be a burden on society. I'm able to earn uh, money. I have an asuisenjo. I had letters of recommendation. I had, um, I, I basically got a, a visa, which was like um, Teju visa. Teju visa, I think that's what it's called. Anyways, I don't think they have it anymore, but um, it's almost like Zaijusha. Um, it's almost like, you know, landed uh, immigrant or whatever, long-term resident. Mm-hmm. I'm getting confused now in the terminology, but I, I, anyways, I basically got a visa that allowed me to work independently. That's probably easier said than done these days. Yeah. Well, I actually don't know. Um, maybe, maybe so, yeah, but yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Well, around and people that we hire, we're able to hire foreigners quite easily now when, when we need to. Mm-hmm. And I think things have really liberalized, um, gotten easier compared to, you know, when I first came to Japan, uh, 30, 30, almost 30 years ago or mm-hmm. more than but you're here, then there. This it is an important thing, um, getting the visa sorted out. For sure. Okay, so let's let's get into. Um, so what what's a day to day like for you, like running a magazine? What are you doing these days? What do we do well. Um, right now, that that magazine's changed quite a bit. It's no longer so much for expats. It's more for inbound uh, tourists. So people from overseas. In fact, there's no more. As I said, it was Japanese and English. Now it's uh, English, Chinese, and Korean publication. And so. Um, the other thing too is uh, the print run. The print run is only fifteen thousand copies now, and there's only, well, it varies from twenty-four to about thirty-six pages per month. Uh, back in the day, we might have had fifty, sixty pages and longer form articles and so forth. So, I mean, our emphasis we we do a lot online now. Uh, the web is um, is very popular, and uh, we do stuff on social media. 
and uh, we still have the print media. So what do we do? Um, yeah, we, we just keep people informed about Fukuoka. We, we make a couple posts every day on, on social media and on our web. Um, what do I do? I do a, a bit of everything. I still do some reporting, some photography. Um, I do ad sales. Uh, and then we do what we call production work, which means uh, not for Fukuoka now, but for clients we do. Uh, either help them with their website contents or uh, publications and things, um, a bunch of things. I am also uh, appear on radio once a week and uh, local TV once a week as well too, doing commentary and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of things is busy. <laughs> <laughs> so do you guys have like an office? So you have a, you know the, you have an office that you go to every day, or you can, sure yeah okay. Yeah, we have an office. Uh, Tenjin's the center of Fukuoka, one of the centers of Fukuoka, and we have a, a nice office. We have now uh, five uh, full-time staff. And then we have um, people who do the translation and are, are on the outside, um, gaichu staff, uh, outsource staff. We have Korean translator, Chinese, and English one or two. Um, and then the design's also done on the outside. So the people in the office are doing sales and editorial planning and uh we also you know produce events as well too yeah you guys do a lot of stuff like, how about how about this uh how automated is it has fukuoka now for you for you now <laughs> so like if you take a week off is a breakdown or is it you kind of oh, i'm gonna be off for three days and it's still gonna work fine or well oil machine well um mm. that's a good question uh, <laughs> i wish it was i wish it was uh yeah, more automated. No, it's not. It, it can't be because, um, you know, things things happen. I mean, just like yesterday, for example, I don't know when this podcast is going up, but the, our local baseball team, the SoftBank Hawks, just won the Pacific League championship. And, you know, we like doing like as soon as, you know, the last pitch was thrown, uh, I already had like a pre-written post uh, made and a graphic selected. And, you know, I think we were the first, at least in English anyway, that's for sure, uh, to, to post things up. So we like to do things, you know, and uh, in a timely um, manner so it's it's not all prepared well in advance and you know things happen in the city uh, the other day as well um, the uh, Fukuoka International Film Festival just took place and we got a call saying hey do you want to interview this you know fairly famous uh, director and uh, musician actually from Singapore I said sure why not so I mean th things come up um, and you have to be able to I mean our name is Fukuoka now right we're not <laughs> yeah Fukuoka then or something like that. So it's it's live. Uh, we might be dealing in print and web here, but it's it's got the feeling that it's some, something new is happening every day. Awesome. So like to f finish up here, um, of course, I'm going to send people to all the, the social media links and stuff. Fukuoka forward, uh, Fukuoka-now.com. If you're not in Fukuoka, you can still check out all the stuff. All the archives and stuff are still there too. So go check out what he did many, many years ago, still online. Um, but I want to ask like, so for someone right now, like you – you had were you needed to have a job you needed to get income and you made a job like this so i know there's some people listening right now that are alts or akawa teachers or like i wish i could do that but it's not that easy right so what kind of advice would you give someone like that that to make stuff happen like you did well i'm sure um you've probably talked about this before but of course you know language skills this is japan so well, you know the more and better you japanese that you can speak uh, is extremely important um but beyond that i think having a second area like a second skill 
just having the language, unless, of course, you want to be a translator or interpreter or something like that, um, but having a sort of a second skill. As you remember when my, just, my story, I, I was able to you know, use software or certain software. Um, yeah, having that sort of second skill is a big thing. Um, yeah, then the other thing is like really being interested or having you know, a deep sort of interest or passion for uh, you know, something, what it is that you want to do, of course, go, goes a long way. I really, in my case, I, I love Fukuoka. Um, so there's nothing, you know, uh, easier for me or, or, or better for me to do than, than pass that information on to other foreigners so they can also enjoy Fukuoka. That's, that's our, our mission here. And, uh, yeah, awesome. I, I think that the advice is, you know, find something like that, find something that you really like to do um, make sure you have the language skills and some other secondary skill and and just go for it yeah awesome yeah and then you know as you can see from nick here he wasn't afraid to go to the phone booth and make a call to make it happen you know that's pretty cool <laughs> um so anything in the future we should get excited for for canal's uh, pipeline so i think uh, well, we're starting to experiment or do more i mean it's a little bit maybe behind the curve now like i say we were now we're we're an old old company, I suppose, you know, um, 19 years, but we're doing more with video now. Um, that's one thing. Um, yeah, I think we're just trying to, you know, do more and, uh, of what we do and, and better. And we just, uh, uh, redid our website, which is, uh, you know, finally, I mean, <laughs> we did that. So I don't know. We're just, just going to keep, keep on doing what we're doing bigger and better. Awesome. Sounds good to me. So thanks for taking the time, Nick. And, uh, food cooking out is really a good magazine. It's a really awesome story how you got it started from nothing and uh, wish you the best of luck in the future. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. Nice talking to you. Thanks for listening to the ALT Insider Podcast. For more info on how you can have more fun working in Japan, visit altinsider.com. See you next time.